Welcome to BBC's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website at ballamvineyard.org or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. And I'm really excited because I get to kick this all off. And um, the basis of this is the freedom that God has called us to walk in every single day and how that outworks. And I just want to start off by talking about what freedom is and what freedom isn't. That's the kind of tagline for today. So this is like the launch pad. I'm not going to go into details of how to live free, but this is like the launch of the start of the series. So I want to start off by reading from Galatians. So hopefully these will come up great. Um, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know if you've noticed that some of the things that promise freedom sometimes do the opposite. I, I'm old enough to remember, obviously don't look it, old enough to remember a particular invention from a number of years ago. Uh, people used to tell me that we've got this amazing new thing, which is called email. And it was going to liberate us from so much. And we, I, don't, I probably just need to explain what we used to have to do, because probably most of you won't actually remember. But you used to have to get a piece of paper, write the date on, write your address. I can't remember even which way around. You wrote your address in one way, and you wrote the place that you were going to send it to the other way. I can't remember which way around it was. You used to have to write the whole thing, sign it, get an envelope, get a stamp, go to the post box or the post office, and we were going to be free of all this. And uh, we, we were just like, what are we going to do with all our time? Like, how are we going to live? This is amazing. Well, when we, all we have to do is literally type something, press a button. It's just going to go. And uh, ha, ha, does anyone feel in bondage to email now? That it's just this tidal wave of stuff, isn't it, that just keeps on coming. I, um, I looked at Terence's phone the other day. And honestly, nearly like had an anxiety attack because there were th- over th- uh, 38,000 on the little red notification thing on the email. Like, I don't like any notifications. Is, there, is anyone else like me? I don't like any notifications on my screen. And um, <laughs> I also upgraded to iOS 12 this week or last week, and I got a, a screen report. Has anyone done that this week? I got a screen report this morning. It told me that I'd picked up my phone 814 times this week. That's bad, isn't it? 814 times. So we're enslaved to stuff, aren't we? Even without realising. So freedom is one of the, the most... It's just a really powerful idea in the modern world. There's a really great book from uh, Graham Tomlin wrote called Bound to be Free, The Paradox of Freedom. And he says that you can tell what a culture values by what it goes to war over. So back in the 17th century, we fought wars over religion. Catholics and Protestants across Europe. In the 19th century, we went to war over empire. 
We went to fight to gain territory for the British Empire, for, for the French or for the Portuguese. But in the 20th and 21st century, we fight our wars over freedom. So the Second World War, it was about freedom from Nazi tyranny. When you think of the, the Iraq War, George Bush fought under the title of Operation Enduring Freedom. And again, when the Twin Towers were attacked, the, re the rhetoric was that we must defend our freedom. And the reasons why troops were sent to Afghanistan and Iraq was to extend freedom to those parts of the world that didn't have freedom. So back in the 16th and 17th century, you didn't realize you were going to get a bit of a history lesson today, did you? Back in the 16th and 17th century, both the church and the state were very restrictive powers. The church was telling you what to do all the time. And the government seemed to be a very controlling society. And the voices at the time said, no, we need individual freedom, to, freedom to be ourselves, to express ourselves, freedom from the church, freedom from the state. And this idea emerged from the philosophers at the time, this idea of liberty that can, that from all that controls you and tries to tell you what to do. And there's this quote from one of the philosophers at the time, obviously I know him really well, John Stuart Mill, 19th century philosopher, and he says, freedom is liberty of tastes and pursuits. It's doing what we like without impediment from our fellow creatures, as long as what we do does not harm them. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And it's basically this idea that, as these philosophers said, we need freedom from the state, freedom from the church, freedom to do whatever we choose to do with our time and our money and our goods and our talents, we need freedom from these things. But they weren't stupid. And they also realized that if everyone acted exactly as they wanted, you'd have chaos. And so they set limits to it, which were other people's freedom. And so we have this idea in our secular culture that freedom is to do exactly as you want, to be whoever you want, to define yourself however you want, as long as you don't tread on anyone else's toes. As long as you don't infringe on anyone else's freedom, because everyone else has their space. And so what it envisages is, is like this little bit of space around ourselves. So where, as individuals, we're entirely free to do what, what we want, as long as we don't encroach on anybody else's space. So it's really interesting, isn't it? I've just been fascinated as I've been um, kind of researching into this a bit this week. So what then is a Christian understanding of freedom? And how do we become free? And, and we're going to kind of delve into this more over the, over the next few weeks, going back to this passage in Galatians 5, looking what it means to actually live free, whether it's in our mind, in our bodies, in sex, in, in relationships. And as we look at this subject of freedom, I want to tie it in today to Isaiah 61. Everything always comes back to Isaiah 61, doesn't it, here? Um, so the true freedom that Jesus is here to bring. When Jesus began his short period of ministry on the earth, he announced that he was the one that God's people had been waiting for since the fall of humanity. And so he did this by reading a particular passage in the book, from the book of Isaiah, which was a passage that his listeners knew that was, going to ref, was referring to the Messiah, the saviour of the world. So these words had been written hundreds of years before, and they spoke of a new freedom. And it was coming in the future. So when Jesus stood up to read, he was just going, the future has arrived. Liberty would come through him. It's a bit like in Sunday school. 
You know, um, when you were, I don't know whether you were little, you knew that whatever the question was, the answer was Jesus. <laughs> so that's what he is. It's like liberty has come and it's through Jesus. So he quotes from this chapter in Isaiah early on in his ministry. So let's read this. So he's quoting from Isaiah. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been raised, he went into the synagogue, as he always did on the Sabbath day. When Jesus came to the front to read the scriptures, they handed him the scroll of the prophet prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and read where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to be hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted, and new eyes for the blind, and to preach to prisoners. You are set free. I have come to share the message of Jubilee, for the time of God's great acceptance has begun. After this, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the minister and sat down. Everyone stared at Jesus, wondering what he was about to say. Then he added, these scriptures came true today in front of you. You imagine that? I mean, that's just a mic drop, isn't it? It's literally, he would have done that and gone back and sat down. And I want to, I want to kind of draw your attention to this particular phrase where it talks about the, the message of Jubilee. And we, use it, we usually read it as the year of the Lord's favour. But what it actually was referring to was the year of Jubilee. So what was this? What was the year of Jubilee? You might have kind of heard this banded around a little bit, but we're gonna, we have to delve back to the depths of Leviticus to find out. Leviticus is that one book. If you're reading the Bible in a year, you get like, if you get through Leviticus, you can kind of get through to the rest of the Bible. So Leviticus 25, there's a lot of kind of passages from Scripture today, so I'm kind of going a little bit all over the place, so um, I hope that's okay. Okay, Leviticus 25, consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return return to your family property and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines. For it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. So in Israel, there was a particular year that was special. And it was a year, it was called the year of the Lord's favour. And every 50 years, there was a year of jubilee. And in that year... All slaves were freed, all debts were cancelled, and all property was restored to its rightful owners. So God installed this as part of the order of life in the Old Testament. It was the great equaliser. And it was God's way of reminding everybody that nothing was their own, it was all actually belonging to God. And they were to share his blessings. The Jubilee ensured that nobody could grow very rich and no one would be perpetually poor. However bleak your life was, this year of Jubilee provided hope. And it was probably once in a lifetime because it was every 50 years. You probably only kind of get onto this every once in a lifetime. So what Jesus is saying then is that when the Messiah comes, he is going to usher in the year of Jubilee. But this year of Jubilee is going to go on much longer than a year. He'd be freeing those who are enslaved to sin. He'd be giving sight to those who are spiritually blind. He'd be releasing those who are weighed down and crushed. 
and he'd be cancelling the debt of sin. He'd be restoring the paradise that Adam lost. So everything would be made right in this year of Jubilee. And it's this year, year of Jubilee, it's such a powerful principle. I was getting really excited about this because I, I hadn't totally kind of worked this out before this week. But it was a symbol and a vision of the future. And this is what the prophet Isaiah foresaw in Isaiah 61. So what does this idea of Jubilee mean for us today? So Jesus' ministry didn't mark a year of Jubilee as Israel knew it, but it marked the beginning of a new spiritual age of Jubilee that will continue until he returns. And freedom is part of that promise. So what what are we captive to? You might kind of think we're not really... We're not really captive to anybody. We're not enslaved by a foreign country or anything like that. But if you were a Jew back then and you heard the word captive, you probably have these thoughts going through your head. So it would probably be to do with the time that they were captive in Egypt for 400 years. Or it could have been the time they were captive in Babylon for 70 years. And these truths, they were ingrained in them. They kind of knew them. Um, They'd been sort of rehearsed through years and years with their families. And a Jew knew very well what it meant to be captive, and he knew the pain that was associated with that captivity. So Jesus came declaring that he's the Messiah who set them free from their captivity. So what captivity was it? And since even the Jews, they weren't captive in a foreign land when he came. And so what he's saying is that he came to set them free from sin and the captivity that only he, the Messiah, could deliver them from. And we don't like to talk about this word sin very much, do we? But we've all been taken captive by sin. Sin has led us away to a place of bondage and slavery to it. I love that David often talks about it in the Psalms. He often acknowledges his sin and the sins of all of us many, many times. And I just want to read you one of the times in Psalm 51 where it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you approve right when you speak, and justified when you judge." Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So a Jew, a Jew knew that he was captive to sin. He'd be brought up with this. And he was commanded then to bring sacrifices for his sins. And he had constant reminders that he was sinful because he couldn't enter the holy place of the temple without being a priest. And in fact, the whole priesthood system was a reminder of this as well. So he could only the, the high priest could only enter the holy of holies on one day of the year, on the Day of Atonement. And that was only one he, once he'd gone through all sorts of cleansing rituals and sacrifices. And so they knew that their sin separated them from a holy God. And they could never come into his presence without fear of being struck down dead because of their sin. We have no concept of that now, do we? It's incredible. So all they could do was to be obedient to God's commandments and offer sacrifices just in, in, in the hope that God would bless them. But they would never personally know him. So Jesus came to provide the answer to this sin problem and set us free from the captivity that we were in. And the, the Greek word that, that um, 
is used for freedom. So when Jesus is talking in Luke 4.18, when he says, I've come to bring freedom for the captives and to proclaim the, the year of the Jubilee, that word freedom, it actually means remission, forgiveness, deliverance, pardon, or letting sins go as if they'd never been committed. That's the freedom. That's the freedom that he brings us. Letting sins go as if they'd never been committed. Is it really possible? Is this actually possible? This is the glorious truth of the gospel. We, we can actually understand it and believe. We can be set free from the captivity of sin. That's why Jesus came, to set us free from sin. You've probably heard this thousands of times before, but there's a kind of like, I want there to be an extra drop into your, into your minds today. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So it wasn't just that we have no sin. We get to have the righteousness. It's like this incredible exchange. We've been given free access to the holy God. In uh, Hebrews 4.16 It says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And then again, Ephesians 3, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. It's incredible, isn't it? Freedom and confidence to approach the holy God. And this is something a Jew would have only dreamt of. They never would have thought it would happen. But Jesus says, I am the Messiah and I've come to proclaim freedom for the captives. Go and be free and worship your God by boldly coming into his presence. The legal term for this is justification. And I, and I heard um, this, this week, we are, just, we are justified, which means that our, our sins are pardoned. And some people say that justified is just as if I'd... Never sinned. Clever, isn't it? So it's this great exchange. Just as if I'd never sinned. That's the standing that we have before God. He took my punishment for my sin. He, he took it on the cross so that I could be set free from my captivity to sin. So let's bring it around to what a Jew would have understood. When Jesus said that he came to proclaim freedom for the captives, he also gave us so much more. It meant that we could come into the very presence of God himself. We had the right, the privilege of coming into God's presence. And this is what it means to be living in the year of Jubilee. We are now in a permanent year of Jubilee. We are set free from the bondage and the captivity of sin that's that's held us back from being able to approach God. We can now boldly approach the holy God anytime we want to. He's waiting to hear our prayers and he desires to answer them. And we can share this with others. There's people around that don't know this. That's the thing. They don't know that they can be free. We can boldly come to God because of the price he paid. And just, just kind of before we go back into worship, I just want to give anybody the opportunity. If you've never received this freedom, 
If you've never received this freedom for sin that Jesus has paid for, if you've never said sorry for the things that you might have done wrong, or been forgiven and pardoned as if they had never happened, then I want to invite you to pray with me this morning. We get to do this. We get to be completely free. So why don't you all close your eyes? You can pray again. I've prayed this prayer so many times. When I was a young person, I prayed this prayer so many times thinking, have I done this already? Have I done this already? But if you, if you want to do this for the first time, or if you just want to do it again, then why don't you pray with me? Dear God, I need you. I'm tired of doing things my way. I admit I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that you, Jesus, took all my sins and made a way so I could come directly to God. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can live in all the freedom that you intended me to. Thank you, Father, for loving me. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our BBC speakers.